Hello everyone, this is Pastor Dylan welcoming you to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. We encourage you to download our church app at the end of this episode to stay connected with us. Simply search for Church Center in your app store, download it, and enter our church information to join the community. Our hope is that this presentation inspires you to continue on your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. I uh, want to make me to make a couple other announcements. I think some of them are probably repeats of what you just heard. Uh, first of all, is this is they were talking about the golf outing, and we don't have very many people signed up for that yet. We would love to have you sign up. So, uh, if you like to golf, uh, please get a team together. Uh, this is going to be to support our teens. But if you don't like the actual golf, you want to do putt putt. They actually they actually have an event for that as well, which is going to be really cool. Um, if you're just kind of a golfer every once in a while, it'd be a good time just coming hanging out with other people. And then if you need to pray afterwards because of your attitude on the golf course, we can take time to do that as well, okay? Um, and I can pray before the game as well, praying that God will intercede and give you this, this unbelievable ability. Uh, but it hasn't worked for me yet, okay? So um, the other thing is uh, we did our uh, Believe class last week, which is our first class into um, uh, membership. And so we have uh, another class we haven't come up, which is in your bulletin. Love to have you sign up for that um, and learn more about the church. And again, we don't force membership at the end of it, but if, you, if you're pretty new to the church, just want to learn what some of the beliefs are and stuff like that, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to do the next two together, and because it's going to be a little bit longer time, we're even going to provide a little bit of a meal that day, so um, that'll be fun hanging out with you. And then uh, the last thing is tonight, uh, you heard about the hymn sing. Uh, I want to encourage you to come because, look, I'm going to be part of a quartet tonight, and uh, I just want to grace you with this voice. <laughs> um, and not really. I'm actually hoping they turn my mic all the way down. Uh, the, other guys, the other guys do a nice job. So if you hear some notes that are out of tune, that's me. All right. Okay. I got that covered. So anyways, we'd love to have you come out and be part of that tonight. Going to have a good thing going on. Uh, I want to say, too, as we're um, continuing this series, this is our third part of this series. Uh, we've taught at the point of view, and we've been looking at the prodigal son. Uh, we did the younger son the first week. We did the father the second week, and we're doing the under, older son today. If you haven't had a chance to hear those other messages, I would encourage you to do so. If you have your Bibles with you today, I want you to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Uh, I want to tell you before I start that um, the end of this week was a um, tough week. It was just like a lot of... Um, hearing things that are going on in people's lives and hearing the struggles that are happening. And uh, even Thursday, believe it or not, I had um, five um, different individuals um, that were struggling really with alcoholism with their kids or something. And, and so we're trying to walk into those things and provide helps and, and all that. Um, but the weight of all that was just overwhelming. And then we had a couple of um, individuals that had to do with, um, they weren't in the church, but they were dealing with um, family members or friends who had some suicidal tendencies in the last week that we were trying to pray with and encourage and, and trying to figure those things out. So there's a, there's a weight to that. And even on my way to the hospital to um, visit an individual who um, uh, I believe uh, they're watching today online, um, <laughs> I was driving my car and praying about what was going on and getting there. And uh, um, as I was driving, there was a pickup truck in front of me full of garbage bags. And I didn't think of anything about it until one of them flew out uh, towards my car. And I wanted to swerve, but it was on 23, and there was no way to swerve. So the next thing I know, I just, duh, 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 duh. And then I was hoping it wasn't a body. 
uh, is all that I was hoping, you know, because I just didn't want to be on the news for that, all right? So um, anyways, uh, so you kind of run into those things, but it's, it's just been sort of a, a heavy week, and I think even my son said, Dad, uh, he's saying, you know, um, some people last week, and he said, Dad, I couldn't look at the congregation. I said, why? And he said, people just look um, so emotional. And he said, I just, I just wanted to cry. And I said, Chase, that's okay. You know, that's okay to be emotional because it's not anything about what I'm doing. And oftentimes people will say, man, I felt like you were speaking right to me. That's, that's not me speaking to you. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Because I'm always amazed after a sermon when you're planning it and people come and they're telling you things that were not even in your sermon. But that's the way that God is dealing with them. And so be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you that because even when I'm going through the message this week, I had times that I just had to stop and repent. Just had to stop and repent. As the Lord was dealing with me and sort of my issues from the past and the way that I thought about people. And I resonated so much with the older son that there was a moment that I had to repent. And I think by the end of this message, and if the Holy Spirit does his job, I think many of us will find ourselves sort of in the same place. So we're looking again at Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. As I was thinking about this message, I remember hearing the story, and um, for those of you who don't know, um, did a little bit of high school uh, football, which I just loved, but I remember going into two-a-days, and two-a-days were always that kind of tough time. It was hot. It was miserable. Uh, you had to show up for practice, then you would take a little nap, like in the locker room, which smelled, and you, know, you were laying on benches and whatever you could. Then you had to go back out for another sort of workout to do that. But I was always amazed, because we'd have these guys on our team that were bigger, and you just knew that they probably didn't want to do two-a-days. So they would come in with these braces and stuff, and they couldn't work out with the rest of the group. And then at the end of two-a-days, miraculously, they could play again. You know, so it was just sort of always this, this weird thing. So I remember resonating with this story I was reading, and it was about an individual um, and I remember it coming from this player's perspective. He said, you know, all of us guys, we got together and we did the two-a-days and we learned the drills and we learned the plays and we were going through all this stuff. And he said, then at the end of two-a-days, here comes in one of the biggest guys, one of the biggest players. He hasn't fought with us through two-a-days and he thought that he was just going to step in and play. And he said, and here's the crazy thing. He said, the coach let him. And he said, that bothered the rest of us because he said, we put in all the work, we put all the time, we put all the energy, and here this guy just comes in and he gets to start playing with us as well. And he said, what was really frustrating is the kid was really good and he took over some of the starters' positions and then there was jealousy and there was turmoil in the group because this guy got to be able to play. And what they didn't understand is this guy had just moved into the area. His family had just gotten a house, and they were in the area. And what the coach understood as soon as they saw this guy and he played, that this guy was better than any other player that they had. But they said for the longest time, this group couldn't allow this guy to do his work and wouldn't help him out because he didn't fight with us through two days. He said eventually the coach pulled us all in and said, guys, do you understand the situation? And he told him the situation. He said, this guy can help our team. But will you let him? And he said, there had to be a mindset change within the team that said, <laughs> yeah, this guy is good. Yeah, this guy can help us out. And at the end of the day, we want to win. 
And I'm going to tell you this, when it comes to the things of the kingdom of heaven, at the end of the day, I really want to win. And what I need you to understand, a win is somebody that accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And I'm willing to do a lot of things to make sure that that win happens. I'm willing to extend a lot of grace. Now, I'm not willing to compromise on certain issues. I want you to understand that. But I'm willing to do a lot. And I'm willing to offer a lot of forgiveness. And the reason why is because I know the forgiveness that God gave me. And I know that I need to extend it to other people as well. And I think a win for us is seeing more and more salvations. More and more people going into ministry. More and more people serving the kingdom of God in other places. And even if they don't stay here, allowing them to get to a church where they can serve and be worshipful and bring other people to the kingdom as well. I want to look at the story again today. And this will be our last time reading it for a while. But we're really going to um, spend a lot of time there on the last part of it. But it says this, Jesus, in verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Father, the words of that parable are just overwhelming. To recognize how much you love your children, that even when we squander everything that we have, 
that your word tells us that when we come to our senses and we come back to you, even though you have all authority and all ability and the right to reject us, you run to us and allow us to know that we're forgiven and that we are restored. And Father, like we said in this story, there's the older son. And I've been the older son in this story. I pray that all of us would be able to examine our own spirit today and say, how have we been like the older son? And what are those things that we need to repent of so that more and more people can come into the kingdom? Father, I pray that you deal graciously with us even now and that as the words are spoken, that they would be not mine but yours. Anything that I would mess up today, may you clean it up in the ears of your people so that yours is the voice that they hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So we keep saying this each week, but Jesus continued. And again, he's continuing one of three prophecies. You remember at the beginning, like we shared from week to week, and sorry that we have to go over this again, but you basically had Jesus who was eating with the tax collectors and other sinners. And those religious leaders that were around, the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they didn't like him communicating with these sinners and tax collectors. And so they said, who is this guy that even eats and he, and he communicates with and what's all of this about? And so then Jesus tells three parables. And the first of the parables he tells, he says, look, he says there's this shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. And he says, you know, he's counting them when they come in at night and he gets to 99 and realizes that there is one missing. And instead of being okay with the 99 because he cares for all of his sheep, it says that he goes out and he goes and finds the one. And what that tells all of us is that even though we feel like we're a part of a bigger group, like he desperately cares about you as an individual. Now, Jesus tells a second parable and really raises the stakes. He says there was a woman who has 10 coins. And we know that those 10 coins are basically her livelihood. Those are what she needs to survive on. And in counting the 10 coins, she gets to nine and realizes that there is one missing. And this becomes of greater value, and all of us can identify with that, because we all want to make sure that we're provided and cared for. And so she says that she searches the house to find that one of significant value. And again, the implication is that if one of you are missing, you need to understand that you have great worth and you have great value in the kingdom. Some of you will say, well, I don't have talents and abilities. Yes, you do. God has given every one of you the ability to serve exactly where you're at. And you can be a great parent. You can be a great teacher. You can be a great person that serves on the line of a manufacturing place. Listen, you have a responsibility to live the faith out in front of people. And hopefully the way we live it out, more and more people will come to the kingdom because of it. But you have purpose and you have value. Now Jesus raises the stakes to an even third part. And it's interesting, like we talked about last week, but in each of the two other stories, the shepherd goes after the sheep. We read then that the woman goes after the coin. And then we get to the parable of the two sons. And that is greatly significant because there's only two of them. And it says one has asked for this wealth and he has squandered it away and he has gotten away from the faith. And what I said last week was very interesting is this, is that Jesus or the father never goes after that son. And we talked a little bit about free will because even as a parent, even though you would love to force your children to do things, you know that if you did, it's only going to make things worse. So there are times that we have to stand at a distance and we just pray and we just love and we keep hoping. But eventually, hopefully, that child will come to its senses, turn around, and then that's when the father runs. Not walks, runs to his child. 
and wants to restore him right away because that son has already felt the weight and the guilt of sin. And his job as a father is not to weigh him down with more stuff. It's the ability to free him, to let him know that you're restored and you are loved. And man, that is a great message for all of us because some of us have been burdened down with that weight. I mean, I've talked to person after person who says, but if you only knew my past, you would understand that I cannot be forgiven. I'm like, you do not know the power of the cross. You don't know the power of grace. You don't know the power of forgiveness. Because my God has forgiven way worse things than you have ever done. And there's power in that. And all three of these parables point to one thing, and that's this, that seeking and receiving sinners pleases God. And that's the call that God has placed within each of us. The three parables were in response to the crowd who desperately needed a Savior and to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who needed a better understanding of their position in life. So today I want to look at the point of the older son. And the point of the older son is realist, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in this passage. So if we read together in verses 11 and 12, you'll see this. And again, we're looking from the older son's perspective. We always, we've already looked at it from the younger son and the father's perspective. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now I want you to think about this. Because you're the older son. You're kind of the one that does everything right. And I know what that feels like. I'm the older son. I always did everything right, you know. Like, I get that, you know. But there's this older son, and he is there. And the younger son comes up and says, hey, Dad, I want my share of the estate. And we've explained this before, but the younger or the other son, um, the oldest son gets two-thirds of the estate. The younger son gets like one-third. And the reason why, again, the older son gets two-thirds is because his responsibility when his dad dies is to take care of the entire tribe or to take care of the entire family. And yet, yet this younger son says, Dad, I want my part of the estate. And it was basically his way of saying, Dad, drop dad. Don't care about you, Martin. And he heard your words. I just want my share right now. Now, can you imagine the older son? I mean, he was appalled. I mean, absolutely appalled. Like, how dare you ask dad for your estate right now? Don't you know the way that this goes down? We do not get our estate until dad dies. And then it's divided up. But how dare you say to dad, and how dare you disrespect him in this way? Like, that is uncalled for. He looked at how disrespectful his brother was. And how dare he ask his dad for this part of his estate now? And I can only imagine the older son thinking, because I would have been thinking this, oh, you just wait till I'm in charge. Now I'm going to put you in your place. And I'm going to know what, let you know what this deal is all about. And there are things that he's looking at, and he says, I don't like what's going on here. And I have to tell you that there have been at times in the ministry when I have been appalled by things that I have seen. I mean, there are stories that I have heard that are just mind-blowing. There are addictions that I've heard about. There are sinful behaviors that I've heard about. There's uh, sexual addictions that I've heard about. There's rape that has been involved. And there's all these crazy things, parents mistreating their children, abusing them. There's all these things that I hear, and I have to tell you, when I hear them, I become very appalled. I become very upset about what I see going on, especially when it's people sitting in these seats week after week after week. 
And it becomes very appalling. It becomes very heavy to hear. And I think to myself, like, why would people act this way? And let's be honest with one another. What do you expect from sinners? Because, I mean, this is no new revelation. But the older I've gotten, I've just realized that I expect sin from sinners. And I find that I don't get, like, crazy out of, out of like, kind of out of mind anymore. Because I expect to hear sort of the craziness of what sin is. Because that's what sin does. So we go on then to verse 13. And we read that not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. And again, you have to think about the older son's perspective. The older son sees that his dad gives the younger son this amount of money. And then his, his brother, the younger son, takes off. And he goes out and he squanders everything he has. And he says, look, I don't need to be around you guys anymore. I'm going to go out on my own and do my own thing. And if you were the older brother, I think a couple of things would have happened because you have shared life together with your brother. Like you guys, when your dad died, were still going to be together. And now I think from the brother's perspective, much like the father, there is a feeling of abandonment. Like, are you kidding me? You're going to leave and you're going to do all this junk. And now all of this is all me. Like, not only do I have to take care of my two-thirds, I basically have to take care of everything now because you are leaving. And not only that, but um, not only did he feel abandoned by his brother, but he also felt dis he disowned him. He disowned him. And you think that's not true. I want you to go to the, sort of the end of the text there. Because when you're at the end of the text, what you'll notice is this. The older brother, and referring to his brother, refers to him as what? He doesn't refer to him as my brother. He says, and your son. In other words, I don't care anymore about him. He's abandoned me. He's given up on me. I'm done with him. And I, again, um, not only does he disrespect his father, but to some degree he disrespects, and this is from, coming from the older son, he disrespects me as well. I'm tired of trying to get him to do the right things. He doesn't want to be a part of the family. He doesn't want to be a part of me. Then fine. I'm done with him. He's not a part of my life anymore. And I think that you can probably all, if we think about it, you might know of somebody in your family that's kind of estranged from you. Because they've done their wild living. They've disrespected people. They're not easy to be around. And so you've just said, fine. I'm done with you. You've disrespected me too much. I get tired of this up and down thing. I'm done with you. I think we felt that in the church at times. Where people have come in, we see them go on this roller coaster, and we just get tired of doing this with them. And we're thinking, don't you know any better now? And then when they get up and they repent again, we're like, yeah, okay, we've, we've seen this and done this before we're done. Like, I, I have no more hope for you. I've seen people that have, and I remember early on when I became the lead pastor here, and I had some rough conversations initially, just some accusations that were made against me, just some people not happy with some things. And they, they were tough conversations. And while people were talking to me and they were criticizing and putting things down, I remember thinking in my head, how dare you? <laughs> and it hurt the things that they were saying. And I thought to myself, you know what, why don't you just leave? Never said it out loud, but that's what I thought. 
And it's interesting to me because I love, and I not love, that's a bad thing to say. But it's interesting to me how the devil takes scripture and tries to reshape it in our head. So as I'm in the midst of those conversations versus like, you know, sometimes we need to prune the vine. We need to get rid of all the dead and all the sickness in order that the vine can be better. And so all of a sudden it's like, you know what? It's okay if those people leave. It's okay that I write them off. But it's not okay. And it would have been a very poor act of me to respond in that way. Hey, you know what? Why don't you just leave? You're not happy here. Just go. What would it have felt like if I would have gone back on them? And as they began to share things that they didn't like, what if I began to criticize their life? <laughs> well, I know what's going on in your life, so let me share with you about what's going on in your life. And what if I would have went on the attack as well? How would that have helped? And what I found in the ministry is simply this. And I love this, about, especially about the father. The father responded in such a way that his child still felt like he could come back. And we as a church need to watch the way we respond to sinners in our midst. We need to watch the way we respond when people attack us. Because at the end of the day, I want to provide a place where people who may even be aggravated at times, I want to provide a place where they can come back if they choose to. The older father did that. The son, the older son, wasn't willing to step into that, and he disowned his brother and said, I'm through with you. I'm done with you. I can't stand to watch this anymore. And honestly, the Jewish leaders, as they heard that, would have agreed with that. They would have thought he's right. And truthfully, probably at times I would have been right in my response to people. But grace is way bigger than that. And I've always found that when I step in grace, I never have to walk it back. But if I respond negatively or poorly, I always have to walk that back. And it's never a very good job. So we get on then with the rest of the passage. And it says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. We understood that he began to work with the pigs and he began to long for that, um, uh, what they were eating, which was the pods. And as he was sitting in the midst of that, uh, he said, you know what, man, I think I can go back to my father. Maybe if I just plead with him to be one of the hired servants and he'll let me do that. And it says that he eventually went back and he addressed his father and he said, I've sinned. And his father responds with this great thing where he says, bring the fatted calf, put the robes on him, put the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet, which we told you about that in another message. But that was basically a point of restoration. But here's the deal. The older son had nothing to do with that. Why? Because he was disconnected. He was disconnected. He had given up on his brother. He no longer hoped that his brother would return. He no longer hoped for the value of his brother at all. But he sat there and he was disconnected. And it's interesting because disconnectedness really, it drives us to almost have a numbness in our spirit to where we no longer care. And when we've seen people do this over and over, we develop a numbness. Maybe some of you as parents have developed that numbness with your own children. Like, they're never, ever, ever going to get it right. Listen, you have been called to hope and to pray for those in your family. 
You know the thing that helped me out the most when those people were like criticizing and attacking and all that stuff? The thing that helped me the most is that even though the devil was taking this scripture and I think misusing it, the Holy Spirit was giving me other scriptures. Hey, Chuck, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And I did that and I watched as God began to change my heart. And as he began to change my spirit. And I have to confess, and here's what I dealt with, and I may be ahead of myself in this story. But what I had to confess about my own spirit is that I grew up in what we call holiness tradition, and there was a lot of things that probably seemed legalistic for a lot of people. And because of my upbringing, I would look at people, and I would look at them, and I'd say, well, they had sinned. They're a sinner. They're a sinner. And I would write them off. And I would think that grace isn't even going to work on their life until they can give all that stuff over. And what I began to understand is the order I've gotten is I don't understand grace at all. Because Jesus says, come just as you are. Not just as you want to be, but come just as you are. Like with all that sin, we also, and then let me extend grace, and then I'll start working within your life. And I found out that, guess what? I love this part. I didn't have to be the bad guy. Because that's what I was doing. I was just condemning person after person after person, and I was disconnected, and I drew this numbness. Why? Because I didn't understand the ability of grace. And grace is one of the most powerful things that God offers us. So in verse 25 through 27, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Do you see the jealousy that's developing now? I mean, think about this. The older son is like, I mean, he's just doing on this. Man, I have been so good. <laughs> I've been here working day after day for my dad. This brother of mine. He goes and asks for his portion, and then he leaves, and then he squanders it. He gets to live in all this sin and all this junk. He gets to do all the fun stuff. And how fair is it because I've been trying to walk the straight and narrow, and I've been trying to do everything that is right. And here's this guy that comes in. He's wasted everything that he has, and it's not until he's at his, his lowest point, until he has nothing, where he's like, you know what? I guess I need something after all. And then he comes back. And the older son is thinking, how is that fair? And I have to tell you, there are times that I felt that way. That I think like, well, I should get a bigger portion because I've been more faithful. But I think this is what we don't realize. I think one of the things we don't realize, and I hope I explain this well, that the moment that I asked Christ into my life, there was a richness that I think I don't even realize. You see, the younger son was doing what? He was living in sin. And the older brother's jealousy, was it really like looking at his brother and saying, look at all that fun he gets to have. And here I am working. Do you know all that sin that that brother lived in? You know the repercussions of that as well? Like the younger son was working with pigs. And he wanted to eat what they were eating. I mean, that's a low point. You know, sometimes I used to hate my testimony. 
I remember somebody challenging me on once because I hear these great testimonies of people that have been in drugs or have been in, you know, some prostitution and other things. I was like, oh, man, look at how God changed their life. And I would get up and I would say, I don't have an exciting testimony. And I remember a lady who had been down and out and had been on drugs, and she says, you have a way better testimony than I have. She says, because you came to Christ at a young age, and you didn't experience all the junk and all the filth and all the stuff that I did. You see, what the older son was missing out was this. He had been experiencing a feast all the while. He had been experiencing a good marriage. He had been experiencing a good life. He had been provided for. And here was this younger son who was trying to find himself, squandered everything he had, and now has all this wreckage with it. You know what? I'm glad I've only had one wife. I don't have to worry about the repercussions of divorce. I don't have to worry about children being split from one home to the other. Some people that have been in their wilder years and have done some things, they've got some baggage to tend with. You know, I'm glad that I didn't have any crazy addiction behaviors with drugs or alcohol because I haven't had to worry about the things that I've done. Not that I don't have my own sins, but I haven't had to worry about some of those major things. And I haven't had to wrestle with some of the sweats and all that and, and getting off the drugs and the temptation. I haven't had to deal with that. But there have been others who have had to walk in this. And even to this day, there are certain triggers that they have to fight over and over and over again. This older son had nothing to be jealous of. Because he experienced the grace of God way sooner than this one did. And he should have just been celebrating. You know, if this older son would have thought about it, at the end of the day, when his dad passed away, he was going to be the head of this tribe. And as the head of this tribe, he should have wanted the best for every single person in his family. And the older son should have thought, what if that would have been my son? And he was in need of help, but I let him back in. And he couldn't put himself in that place because jealousy struck him too much. So we continue in verse 28 there. It says, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, for all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours. You see how he changes that? He doesn't say my son. He says, your brother, your family member, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. What was interesting to me with this whole passage is a couple things. And I'll end with some of these things. But he saw his brother's disrespect but he didn't see his own. <laughs> the younger son challenges dad at the beginning. The older son is challenging him now. What's also interesting to me, and it's something that we probably don't understand from the text. And it's funny. I, I've known the story as long as I can remember. And it's just certain things you don't see. But when it says that he divided the wealth, what does it say? He divided the wealth, what? Between them. 
you give the wealth to both the children. If the older son would have been smart, he could have like said, no, 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 dad, not now. We can do that later. But his brother saw, the older brother saw his younger brother's disrespect, but didn't see his own. And it's amazing to me that I can look at the sins of others, but I don't see my own sin, that I don't see my own disrespect. I can sit there and wonder why people don't trust God enough. And then yet there are times when I don't trust God enough. There are times that I can look at other people and say, well, I wish they'd read their Bible more. I wish they would pray more. And yet I don't see it in myself. Like, why am I not reading more? Why am I not loving more? Why am I praying more? Like, why am I not doing these things? Another thing he had is he had received grace, but he did not extend grace. You know, they both had received their wealth. But he wasn't willing to send that grace to someone else as well. And again, it's one of the things that's amazing to me because you and I know that we've been forgiven by God. But man, why can't we extend that same grace to other people? Like, why is that our hang-up? Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother when they sin against you, your father will not forgive your sins as well. And this is the biggest thing that I don't think I ever saw to this point. And I want to remind you of this again. When the shepherd loses the sheep, who does he run to? He goes and finds the sheep. When the woman loses the coin, what does she do? She goes and finds the coin. And we said last week, when the younger son squandered all of his wealth, his father did what? He stayed. And he waited for his son to come to his senses, and then he went after him. But what's interesting to me in this story is this. Because all these parables were told not only for the crowd, but they were told for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as well. Who did the father go and find? The father went to find the older son who was not at the party. And I think that's extremely powerful. And the reason why is this. Because the father loved both the older and the younger son. When he was talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he said, look, guys, here's some of your mistakes as well. Here's some of your junk. But I love you enough that I'm willing to come after you as well and to change and church, I want to challenge you with this today. In a moment, we're going to have what we call an altar call. And an altar call is simply this. is like if you have felt something in your spirit that says, you know what, I need to repent of some stuff, I'm going to challenge you today to come down. You can either kneel, stand, or sit. Uh, last week, I have to apologize. I said that if any of you needed us to anoint you to come down, or somebody said, oh, I wanted to be anointed for somebody else. If you need to be anointed for somebody else today, I'm going to encourage you to come down as well, and we'll anoint you. I would just like to have this great time at the altar. But here's what I want to challenge you with. If you've been sitting in your seats for the last several, last several weeks, and as we've begun to talk about the younger son, and we've been, been talking about the father, if you have thought in your mind, so-and-so needs to hear this message, or so-and-so needs to go down to the altar, then let me, let me give you a clue. 
Maybe you're the one that needs to go to the altar. If we as a church have, and I think that we need to be repentant of some some stuff, but if you've looked at somebody in the church and you've asked, what are they doing here? Then you need to repent. If you've looked at somebody and said, well, they're all tatted up and they have rings in all the weird places, then guess what? You need to repent of that. If you've looked at somebody that's a homosexual, and you know that's a sin, but you see them come in the church and you say, what are they doing here? You're in the wrong. They need to be here. If you've looked at somebody that has had affair after affair after affair and said, we need to watch that person, which may be true, but if you said to yourself, they don't belong here, then you're in the wrong. Man, there is sin from the past of the churches where we've said stupid things like a black person shouldn't marry a white person. And by the way, I thought that was all over until I heard somebody say it this week. And my mind just went, Shh. and I said, where do you get that from? And they told me the scripture and I said, you've read the scripture wrong. That scripture wasn't a black and white issue. That scripture was basically about tribes not inter- intermixing because of believing in different gods had nothing to do with their ethnicity at all. It only had to do with a believer being married with an unbeliever. That's what it had to deal with. Then they would use scriptures like, well, you can't be unequally yoked. Are you kidding me? I've seen people in the church be unequally yoked. You can be from the same congregation and be unequally yoked. You can have somebody that believes you should go to church like every week, and you can have somebody that believes you should only go once a month or only on the holidays, and guess what? That's going to cause issues and problems. You can have somebody that says we need to spank our kids, and the other says we need to discipline them that way. Guess what? That can cause problems. And so we need to talk about those things because then we're not working together. You know, really what being unequally yoked is, if you're from Ohio and you marry somebody from Michigan, that's unequally yoked, all right? And I will not forgive that. But, man, church, we've got to come to a place where we recognize that we got some sins in our past. If you've looked at your child and you'll say that they'll never come to Christ and you don't realize the power of my God because he has the ability to work in the hearts of unbelievers. And we got to trust God to do that. And we as the people of God need to be praying and we need to be loving people. You know, I said this week that I was just challenging my own spirit. By the way that I have looked and I've judged people because I've been the older son who at times was jealous or upset and I never recognized grace in my own life. So I've asked Jerry to play this song and he'll sing a verse of it. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And if any of those things hit you today or you need prayer over, you just want to come up and say, Lord, this is me and I want to repent of of some of those stupid beliefs that I've had out there in my life. And I just want to give them over to you because your children matter. I'm going to ask that you just come down, stand at the altar, kneel at the altar, whatever you need to do. But I'm going to be the first to do it myself because I want to be a grace-filled believer. So as we've seen this, come down if you want to and we'll pray together. 
Would you just close your eyes for a minute? You can say, Pastor Chuck, again, the altar thing is not easy for me, but there are some things that I and my spirit need to be repentant of. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so that we can just remember in our prayers? We got that over here in the middle. Thank you in the back. Thank you over the sides here. Thank you over here on my right side. Thank you right here in the front and middle. Thank you. Thank you over here. And Father, you know all those hands that have been raised. And Father, we just want to thank you for your grace and mercy right now. We pray for those at the altar right now. Some are here for emotional, spiritual, or physical needs. Some are here just repenting because we recognize that, Father, that we are a flawed people who are in desperate need of a Savior who can heal and to change our own perspective. Help us to admit the times that we have been wrong and how that we may have stepped in the way and been a problem for other people coming to the faith. Father, I don't want to be a church that is excluding people but I want to be a hospital that is healing and helping people. And Father, I pray that we would send them away healed and be able to minister wherever they're at, even if it's not in this place. I don't care about that. What I care about is that more and more people get in the kingdom of heaven. And so help us to take the words that we've learned today and send those back to other people as well. And so Father, as a congregation and out of our love and praise for you, We're just going to sing that chorus with Jerry right now, recognizing your grace that is greater than all our sin. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to have you join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our amazing children and youth ministries, please visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org.